Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Our Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. But meanwhile, I wonder if you can identify these former leaders of our country. For instance, do you know the name of the president whose knees turned Washington topsy-turvy by riding horseback through the White House flower beds? And can you identify the president who kept his entire staff from resigning when he proved that a ghost in the White House was not real? If you didn't score so well on these two questions, our Mr. President show, through its fascinating human interest stories, will reveal many more behind-the-scenes episodes in the lives of our past chief executives. And Mr. President also enlightens the listener about American crises and conflicts in a manner calculated to build faith in America. It is true biography in its most revealing form, built around the men who have filled America's highest office. And now, listen to our absorbing drama and see how quickly you can guess which president it was. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Come in, won't you? Sit down. When a man becomes president, he might be happier if he could give up personal feelings and have everyone around him do the same thing. The trouble is we're all too human. Friendships are strong ties. Ed Randolph, my secretary of state, was a personal friend of 30 years standing, and it wasn't easy to divorce this personal relation from public business. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this story really happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. Outdoors that morning, the weather was fine, but inside it was a black day. To avoid a war, I'd sent a special emissary to the seat of a foreign government to negotiate a settlement of several dangerous disputes. This morning, we had amazing news. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I'm sorry to upset your day with this emergency (coughs) meeting of the cabinet. However, if I withhold this news from you, it won't get any better. I will let Secretary of State Randolph tell you the plain facts, Ed. Well, gentlemen, as you know, ever since the cessation of hostilities, this nation has tried to use its good offices toward bringing about a permanent peaceful solution 
to the controversies growing out of the war. Now, in this effort, we have been continually hampered by the actions and attitude of one nation. I need not tell you what nation I mean. The instructions given Mr. Day contain specific points regarding the disposition of movable properties, including slave labor, which have fallen into the hands of invading armies, together with instructions pertaining to permanent fortifications and boundary disputes. Now, gentlemen, when Arthur Day left, I gave him detailed and unmistakable instructions on every point. This morning, a copy of the treaty arrived. It is not the treaty we ask for. Not the treaty? It indicates a stupendous retreat by the American plenipotentiary. You mean Day signed it without consultation? That's right, Mr. Ellis. Why do you think Mr. Day gave in? I can answer your question only one way, Mr. Ellis. Mr. Day was beaten out of the strong position we instructed him to take because he's very pro-British. Mr. President, I was one of those who urged you to send Day. Mr. Randolph ought not to throw doubt on his honesty by accusing him of being pro-British. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, gentlemen, we can't change anything by quarreling with each other. We may soon have to fight elsewhere. Well, We told uh, Day to negotiate a treaty that would in no way endanger existing treaties with other sovereign states. However, that's what he's done. The result is, if we ask the Senate to ratify this treaty, France may be angered into war against us. If we reject it, England may turn to war. Under these circumstances, gentlemen, I want no displays of angry feelings. I want your best opinions of the treaty as it stands. Because on our decision to accept or reject, there hangs a war. Thank you for coming, gentlemen. Sarah told me you wanted to talk to me. Yes, sir. Uh, Sit down. What is it? I think I know why Day signed such a bad treaty, sir. I gather from your remarks in the cabinet meeting this morning, you think it's because he's pro-British. Well, I opposed him as a special envoy in the first place. If any American was persona grata to the British, that man was Day. The British well know that he's always been in sympathy with their views. Mm, That's very close to an accusation of treason, Ed. Day's feelings for the British are well known. However, I don't think that's the entire reason he signed this treaty. No? What else? I think he was forced into it. Forced into it? By whom? A week or so before Day sailed for London, the Secretary of Treasury, Tom Ellis, told the British Minister Hammond that this country would probably not fight in support of our grievances. Now, our basic point was destroyed before Day ever got to London. Ed, uh, what do you expect me to do about it? Don't you owe it to Ellis to ask him point blank? I've known Tom Ellis almost as long as I've known you. I don't doubt his patriotism any more than I doubt yours. But it's not the function of the Secretary of Treasury to be negotiating foreign policy, weakening our position with a foreign nation over my head. You want us to reject Day's treaty? Yes, sir. I think it endangers our treaty with France. There's one clause in that uh, treaty that may save our faces with France. Nothing in this treaty shall be construed in conflict with United States obligations to France. I doubt if I can make the French minister believe that clause has any strength. Ed, when I get the written opinions of all the cabinet on the treaty, we'll decide how you are to talk to the French. Meanwhile, I've ordered the text of the treaty to be kept absolutely secret. We need a little time to make up our minds. President, have you seen these papers, sir? No. British treaty signed. U.S. shamed and tricked by British diplomacy. President must reject it. Well, how do you suppose the text got out, Miss Sarah? I've no idea, Mr. President. Of course, quite a few members of the House and Senate have copies, and the Cabinet, sir. And some of those gentlemen are pro-French. Mr. President, do you mean Mr. Randolph? What? Well, he's against the treaty, sir. 
You don't think he let the text be published, do you, to arouse public opinion against him? Miss Sarah Randolph's one of my oldest and dearest friends. I'm sorry, sir, but for a moment that, that's how it sounded. I know Ed Randolph isn't capable of such a thing. No. Well, is there anything you want done about the papers? A statement, a denial? No, no. Sooner or later, people have to find out what's in the treaty. It might just as well be now. There'll be an awful explosion when the French learn its contents, won't there, Mr. President? Miss Sarah, there will. Monsieur Andolf, my government must know what means this treaty. Of course, Mr. Faucher, I will try to... The United States and my country, France, are dear friends. And we have a treaty about neutral rights. England blockades us. We need the supplies you can send us. Yet... You sign a treaty which gives up those rights. Oh, personally, I don't favor this treaty, but your government has to realize our danger with England. May we? But, Monsieur Randolph, all during these negotiations, you have led me to believe that your envoy to London had no authority to negotiate such a treaty. I have so informed my government. Your own minister in Paris has likewise informed my government. Yes, I understand. How shall I explain? Am I to tell my government that my information was incorrect? Or shall I say that I was misled? Now, see here, Mr. Fauchet, I don't... This situation places a great strain upon my personal position as well as upon the relations between our countries. When the information given me by the American Secretary of State proves incorrect... Now, just a moment, Mr. Fauchet. The treaty has been signed, but not yet accepted by the President or ratified by the Senate. But, monsieur, is there any reason to believe... That it will not be. Mr. Fauchet, it is my belief that certain steps can be taken to prevent the ratification of the treaty in its present form. Now, uh, why don't you dine with me one evening this week, and I'll try to explain it to you further. It'll be easier for you to report to your government accurately. Urgent dispatch from London, Mr. Hammond. Thank you. <clears throat> Confidential dispatch to His Majesty's Minister in Washington, Mr. Henry Hammond. The attitude toward Great Britain of the American Secretary of State, Randolph, has long given dissatisfaction in London. An opportunity has now arisen to remove him from all possibility of harm to us. Enclosed, you will find a dispatch from the French Minister in Washington to his own government reporting his conversations with Secretary Randolph. This explosive document came into our hands by merest accident. One of our war vessels intercepted the French vessel bearing this dispatch to France. Please see that Monsieur Fauchet's document reaches the eye of the President without loss of time. It may help to get the day treaty ratified. Hmm. <laughs> Mr. Hammond, I don't often have the pleasure of a visit from you without its being arranged by Secretary Randolph. You'll see in a moment, sir, why this meeting could not possibly have been arranged by Secretary Randolph. Permit me to place this document on your desk. What is it? It's a letter written by Fauchet, the French minister, to his superiors in Paris, and fell into our hands by a fantastic accident. It describes some conversations which Monsieur Fauchet had with Secretary Randolph. And what do you expect me to do with it? Read it, sir, I trust. I refuse to read documents obtained by underhanded methods. I repeat, sir, it was a fantastic accident. And it's most important for you to read. 
For instance, this paragraph here. And remember, it's from a French minister reporting officially. Mm-hmm. Mr. Randolph told me that money from the French government for influence against the treaty would be acceptable to him. Why, Mr. Hammond, this document is a forgery. My word, sir, it is not. And I'm sure Monsieur Fauché didn't invent these conversations. And doesn't it seem clear that much of the opposition to the Day Treaty is being stirred up secretly by Mr. Randolph even now and leading our two countries, sir, closer to a war neither of us want? Mr. Hammond, may I keep this document? Of course, sir. Mr. Hammond, I want this note kept absolutely secret. I can't thank you for bringing me the evidence that my dearest friend is a traitor to his country. And I'm not glad to have it. I'm ashamed. Deeply ashamed. Good morning, Mr. Hammond. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Let me tell you about a fellow named, well, let's call him Bob. Bob died last year. People said it was a pity because he was only 32. But the real pity of the situation was that he'd be alive today if only he'd known he was stricken with tuberculosis. You see, tuberculosis no longer need be fatal. It can be cured if it is detected. It's estimated that right now 500,000 Americans are afflicted with TB, but only half of these are actively taking care of it. Remember, the sooner tuberculosis is detected, the quicker and easier the cure. So protect yourself and your family. Have your chest x-rayed. In some places, x-rays can be obtained free or at a nominal cost through a local tuberculosis association or health department. Check your chest. Get a chest x-ray tomorrow. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Maybe you've already guessed who the president was in this story. In any case, I'll tell you later on. The evidence of the Fauché letter that my dear friend and Secretary of State Randolph had asked for money from a foreign country was overwhelming. But after a day or so, I began to think there must be some other explanation of Fauché's amazing dispatch. I sent for Fauché himself to come and see me. Monsieur le Président... I am deeply honored. Mr. Fauché, I suppose you know that your letter to Paris about Secretary Randolph was captured by the British and turned over to me? I am covered with shame, monsieur. Then it's not true about Randolph? I am covered with shame that the document was captured. It was a confidential report to my government based on conversation with Secretary Randolph. Are you sure you didn't misunderstand the things Randolph said to you? On so important a matter... Impossible. But I've known Randolph and his family for 30 years. We grew up as friends. We hunted and fished together. He was my aide in the last war. And you ask me to believe that he's a traitor? Monsieur le Président, may I tell you something that was not in the report? He asked for money, not only for, let us call it, influence, but for himself as well. Mr. Fauché, I'm going to be exceedingly frank. I find your statement extremely hard to believe. Good day, sir. Good day, monsieur. Miss Sarah. Yes, sir? Mr. Fauché is leaving. Good day, Miss Sarah. Good day, sir. Well, Mr. President, what did he say, sir? What he meant was more important. I wish I knew what he was up to. 
Miss Sarah, I think that fellow's far too sly for his own good or ours. It's Mr. Ellis, Mr. President. He asked for a few minutes. Oh, yes. Uh, Come in, Tom. Good afternoon, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it's important. What is it, Tom? I know the day treaty is a bad defeat for us in almost every point. But to reject it may mean war with England. And acceptance of it may mean war with France. That's what I came to see you about, sir. I believe I found a way to placate France. Really? How? Get to the bottom of the Fauché dispatch about Randolph. You know about that? Why, yes, shouldn't I? Who told you? Well, there are copies around. Many people in the government know about it. Hmm. First, first a confidential dispatch falls into the hands of the British, then copies of it get out here. Doesn't it seem to you that Mr. Fauché is being something less than careful with his reports? But it can't be, Fauché. People would favor the treaty if they found that the opposition to it was being paid for by France. But how could Randolph be to blame? He's against the treaty, too. He's against the best interests of the country, if you ask me, sir. Tom, I don't believe Randolph would turn against this country any more than I believe you did. I did? What are you talking about? I was told you made certain revelations about our policies to the British ambassador that resulted in this disgraceful treaty. But... Oh, I did no more than express my own views. There was nothing improper in that. I thought so. And that's why I didn't make an issue of it. Don't you think that maybe the same thing happened between Randolph and Fauché? Why not ask him? No, no. I'm going to give him the chance to tell me about it himself without asking. Cabinet reports are divided evening, evenly, Ed, for acceptance and against it. Now, how about you? Well, I think we might as well have sent an envoy who sold us out deliberately, sir. You don't think Dave was bought? There are other coins besides money, flattery, intrigue. You still feel the risk of war with France is greater than the risk of war with England? I think our self-respect demands that we uphold our treaty with France, sir. Would you risk war for self-respect? I would. Would you compromise self-respect for safety? No. If we lost the war and lost our standing as a nation, what good would self-respect be? The price of self-respect is sometimes high, Mr. President. But it's always cheaper than dishonor. Ed, did Fauché ever say anything to you or you to him that either of you might have misunderstood? I usually make myself very clear, Mr. President. Then there's nothing more you have to tell me before I make up my mind about the treaty? No, sir. You have all the information I have. I see. Then in that case, Ed, with a destructive war as the only alternative, I'm going to recommend that the Senate ratify the treaty. I'm sorry, Mr. President. But even though I disagree, as your Secretary of State, I'll do my best to enforce it. Thank you. I protest, Mr. President. I protest in the name of His Majesty's government. Please, please, try to calm yourself, Mr. Hammond. Yesterday, Mr. Randolph handed me a statement of your government's attitude toward the treaty. The paper itself is good enough. I protest Secretary Randolph's attitude. Oh? He openly informed me of his disappointment. London will not feel confident if he persists in a hostile attitude toward it. Mr. Hammond, you and your superiors in London have been desperately anxious to get Randolph out of office. The moment you found the Fauché letter, you ran to me with it. Do you call that decent action? Uh, what else could we have done? Burned it! Don't you want to know if your officials are corrupt? That's my business, Mr. Hammond, not yours! I'm the first and last judge of the men in my cabinet, and I'll tolerate no more of your interference. We don't like palace intrigues in this country, and I won't have them in my administration. Oh, no, Mr. Hammond. 
I know a better way to get to the bottom of this. And I've brought this letter before the cabinet, Mr. Randolph, because I want and expect an unprepared defense. Mr. President, this is an outrage. I see that every member of this cabinet is familiar with my affairs and with this extraordinary letter. Are you familiar with it? I never heard of it until this moment, sir. Everyone else I thought I deserved better of you than this, Mr. President. Why didn't you ask me about it before? Suppose you had denied it to me. Suppose I, your friend, had said you denied it. Would that have convinced anyone of your innocence? No. I wanted to give you the best possible chance to deny it in the most convincing way. Not just to a personal friend, but even to your enemies. These gentlemen and yourself, sir? Yes, I deny this letter. It's a recital of lies by a confused, stupid man. There's my word, but you'll soon have more than that. I'll send my resignation in the morning. You and I, sir, once talked of honor and self-respect. I'm able to say that I still have mine. Can any other man in this room say as much? Good morning. What is the meaning of... Monsieur Rondeau. Hello, Fauché. Surprised I caught you? See here, monsieur. I'd heard you left the capital on your way home. Lucky I was able to locate you before you sailed. <laughs> but, monsieur, my successor has already been appointed. What can you possibly want of me now? Don't play innocent, Fauché. It's obvious to me now what happened. You failed in your mission here. But rather than take any of the blame yourself, you tried to twist our conversation so that your country would believe me you're responsible. You thought you'd save yourself that way. Monsieur, my word... I suppose the statement about the money was calculated to worsen your country's opinion of the Secretary of State. Or did you hope to secure the money for me and then keep it yourself? It is a great misunderstanding, monsieur. Believe me... Yes, a misunderstanding which has forced me to resign in disgrace. But you are going to fix that, monsieur. I? How? Before I leave this room, you are going to furnish me with a written retraction of every one of your accusations. Then I'll publish it both in my country and in yours. It should prove quite a lesson to you in the futility of intrigue. Excuse me, Mr. President, but uh, it's Mr. Randolph, sir. Ed, he's here. He wants to see you, sir. What can I say to him, Miss Sarah? What can I possibly say to a friend of 30 years who suddenly thinks I've turned against him? You will have to explain, Mr. President. I hoped that I was helping him, but he took it as a trick. Shall I say you're busy, sir? No, 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 Miss Sarah. Show him in. Yes, sir. Mr. Randolph, the President will see you now. Thank you. Come in, Ed. Mr. President. Now, uh, just a moment before you start. Let me at least try to tell you how sorry I am. I wouldn't have humiliated you that way if, uh, if I'd seen any other way to convince those others. I never believed Fauché's crazy accusations for one... But I needed a public and emphatic denial from you. I never mistrusted you. I... Well, that's all, then. <laughs> uh, I'm very glad, Mr. President. I'm very glad you said that before seeing this paper. What? 
I didn't come here to shout at you again, sir. I shouldn't have lost my temper, but I did want you to see this, sir. Well, what is it, then? It's a paper signed by Monsieur Fauchet. I wish you'd read it. Mm-hmm. I hereby declare that all accusations against Edmund Randolph reputed to have been made by me to be false. He never at any time asked me for money, either for himself or for any other reason. Well, and signed by Fauché. Huh. <laughs> That's fine, Ed. That's fine. It's certainly a complete vindication for you. I especially wanted you to see it, sir. Well, I've already told you I never misunderstood... Well, I never mistrusted you. Now the others will have to admit the truth. Ed, I still have your resignation here on my desk. Yes, sir. It was completely voluntary, sir. I'm very sorry, but I'm compelled to accept it. If my actions were to be dictated by personal feelings, friendship, trust, and respect, I couldn't accept it. But I've got to think of more than friendship. What's best for this nation? It's relations with other governments. I think I understand. You see, Ed, I trust you, but the British don't. And the French don't trust Ellis. You and Ellis forgot diplomacy and destroyed your value. In the present controversy overseas, you were pro-French and Ellis was pro-British. When each of you should have been neutral. Now those nations don't trust either of you, and we've got to go on dealing with these nations from now on. Uh, What are you doing about Tom Ellis, Mr. President? Oliver Wolcott is replacing him as Secretary of the Treasury, and I haven't decided on your successor yet. Well, I'll stay on until you do, if you want me to, of course. (laughs) You know it. I think we'll get along better with England and France if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir. Well, I'm anxious to get back to my farm and take care of my tobacco plants anyway. (laughs) Let me know how you do. I've got some ground I've been thinking of putting into tobacco. Well, I wouldn't if I were you, Mr. President. Tobacco plants really have to be handled with care. They're more sensitive and temperamental than (laughs) either the French or British. (laughs) But I'll let you know how I make out. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, Ed. And the very best of luck to you. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know. And I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. When most of us think about the Treasury Department, we think quite naturally that they're responsible for the manufacture of money. But did you know that the Treasury Department is also the oldest and largest law enforcement agency in the world, with over 12,000 agents? Treasury Agent is the exciting ABC show that dramatically portrays the work of this valuable department. Hear Treasury Agent each Sunday afternoon. You'll hear from Elmer Irie, the retired chief coordinator of all law enforcement agencies in the Treasury Department, who has often been called the world's greatest detective. Treasury agent, Sunday afternoon, over most of these same ABC stations. And now, here again is Edward Arnold. Have you guessed now which president it was who had trouble separating personal friendship and public business? Well, the time of this story was 1795 when George Washington was Mr. President. He followed the advice of Alexander Hamilton, whom we called Tom Ellis, and finally accepted the John Jay Treaty with England only to avoid a war. The controversy involving freedom of the seas and the return of Negro slaves 
captured during the revolution, ruined the career of the Secretary of State, Edmund Randolph, who returned to his home in Virginia without bitterness. Randolph lived out his life a staunch friend of his great hero, George Washington. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Mayors soon to release Frank Capra's State of the Union, starring Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, and Van Johnson. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of. President George Washington. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Be sure to listen again at the same time next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations brings you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>